Greetings, everyone. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake, Spokane at 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And this is Art Hour with your hosts, Mike Malsham and Eric Woodard. This month, well-known local visual artist, art administrator, and writer, Karen Mobley, has released her first collection of poetry. It's called Trial by Ordeal. This collection explores faith, family, and love with themes of grief, loss, and personal development woven throughout. Her new book of poetry is available at Wishing Tree Books, Atticus Coffee and Gifts, and Auntie's Bookstore. Art Hour, in support of Karen Mobley, would like to replay an interview we had with Karen last year. Let's listen again as Karen Mobley gives us some insight about her life. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Art Hour. This is KYRS, Medical Lake, Spokane, 88.1, 92.3 FM. This is Eric Woodard. And Mike Malsom. And today, uh, our special guest, and we're really uh, happy to have her, is a long time icon, I would say, um, of the Spokane art scene. Uh, Karen Mobley, who recently, uh, in a December issue of the Spokesman Review, was um, one of the difference makers that was uh, um, featured in the Spokesman Review and had a really good article. Some of those things I think we can m- maybe touch on today. But uh, for Art Hour and for Eric and myself, I think Eric is the, uh, Karen is the perfect person to kind of give us a good context of the past where we're at now, and then just based on her multiple, um, you know, knowledge about about art and art administration and community of art, kind of where we could be going here in Spokane. So it'll be an interesting conversation. So, so thanks for being here, Karen. Great. Well, thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. So, Karen, maybe just start with um, just um, maybe just a like a brief like history, but of, you know, your career in Spokane as an arts administrator, and you were uh, actually head of a department in the city, and that in itself was was a big deal, but then that uh, ended. But the things that you've accomplished and maybe the, the groundwork that you've laid to kind of bring us to where we're at in Spokane. Okay. Well, so I'll give a little bit of biographical information, and then maybe we can kind of roll that out into how it connects to other people and other things. Um, I came to Spokane in 1997, and I was invited here by the city of Spokane to become the city arts director, where I worked from 1997 till 2012. And while I was there, I was involved with a lot of things. Many of those things are still going on. Um, the Chase Gallery, the public art program at the city. I was in on the ground floor for the creation of First Friday. We did a lot of work on promoting the visual arts, music, writing, and other things in downtown. If you think about where we've come since 1997 to now, which is a little bit more than 20 years, And those days, the Davenport Hotel wasn't open, the Fox Theater hadn't been renovated, what 
is that kind of core area around the what was the Met Theater, now the Bing Crosby Theater. That was pretty much a rough neighborhood. And there was a lot of effort that the city, as well as companies like Avista that put investment into the steam plant and others, did to look at re, really revitalizing downtown. And I worked a fair amount on those projects that were about... Um, reinvigorating not only the arts in Spokane, but reinvigorating downtown retail and housing and getting more people to come downtown and be part of what's going on. It's a really amazing transformation when you think about where we've come in 20 years. Um, Also during that time, I served on a lot of boards and committees and projects and things that worked towards that end. I was on the MAC board right after we got the new building. I was involved with the Davenport Arts District, worked on the Fox Theater and a variety of things. Um, Some of the stuff is really small, like helping artists to figure out how to connect with Artist Trust and other professional resources. Um, I've been teaching arts administration, what we call leadership in the arts at Whitworth since about, I think about 2000 or so. So you figure, you know, we have 18 years of a small class every other year of young people who are in some cases leaving Spokane and in some cases they're still around Spokane, either working in volunteer capacity for things like FemFest or the film festival, Spokane International Film Festival, SPIF, other things like that, that where the students have stuck around. Um, sort of parallel to that, all the way through, I've been working on my own art, I've been writing poetry, I've been doing a lot of writing about art and artists, not just for Art Chowder, sometimes for Spokane Coeur d'Alene Living, um, sometimes for other people. A lot of times people ask for support for people to tell them you know, things that are going on here. Um, it's been an interesting ride. I um, got laid off from the city at the end of the Mary Verner administration, beginning of the Dave Condon administration. And we began trying to figure out, actually before I was laid off, a way to continue a lot of the programmatic things we were doing at the city. And through that work, Spokane Arts, which was born out of our booster organization, which is the Spokane Arts Fund, was was kind of formed into its new form, which takes both some of what was the city's program and some of what was the arts fund in a 501c3. And they have a contract with the city of Spokane to do certain things. They've had a contract with the Spokane Public Facilities District. They're officed with Visit Spokane. We've created um, a pretty, I think, a pretty good structure that is working. Um, ben Steckert, Karen Stratton, a variety of other political characters around helped us with that transition along with very important people who were involved with the Public Facilities District. Kevin Tuig was a real support and encourager of the new structure and as was Cheryl Kilday at the Visit Spokane office. She just left to take a new job but you know there's been a lot of collaborative effort um, Spokane, when I, I haven't really left Spokane Arts, but I work for them just on a contractual basis. Melissa Huggins is the director there, and there's a staff with Micah Maloney and Shelley Winecoop who does the Saga Grants. 
And um, so I'm around. I'm doing some public art management for them. Um, we just announced a new project that we're looking for artists for, um, which is a work of art that's going to be commissioned for Peaceful Valley that will be done at the south end of the Sandifer Bridge, where the Indian encampment was oh. historically. And they'll be, um, it's not quite up on the website, but it's up on our Smarter Select for Spokane Arts. Um, should be going out in the newsletter in the next couple of days. There'll be a deadline for artists requesting um, for qualifications for March 22nd. Um, there's a bunch of other saga stuff or um, Spokane Art stuff going on. There's vacancies on the Arts Commission if people are interested in volunteering for that. There'll be a grant training that Shelley's doing mm. on March 2nd. Um, you know, we're still involved. Spokane Arts is still involved with First Friday. It's always been interesting to me to be like working on the administrative end of First Friday because I'm also showing at mm -hmm. Marmot Art Space and other places in the community. So I'm kind of an audience member, an artist, a worker bee, although the Downtown Spokane Partnership mostly does all the work for First Friday now. Um, Spokane Arts is also currently sponsoring a Humanities Washington program, which will be on March 23rd, which is called She's Traveled Solo, Strong Women in the Early 20th Century. And it's a program about female role models mm -hmm. around the state that's being done by um, Teresa, no, Teresa, Tessa Hullis, who's an artist and a writer. Um, Spokane Arts has got their fingers in a lot of things. Um, it's been fun to stick around and kind of watch it grow and change and have a chance to kind of see what's happening. It's also nice to not be there all the time and be able to pursue some of the things that I'm working on. And so, like, right now, one of the things I'm working on is art for a one-person show at the Moses Lake Art Museum, oh. which will be in 2020. And I'm working on another museum project that I can't really announce yet because it's not until 2021 that will be in Montana so it's been fun to have more time to really dig into my own work in a way that I wasn't able to when I was working full time mish plus As being the director of Spokane Arts is not really a full time job it's a lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> so um, now that we don't have that particular uh, position? Do you think Spokane is is the current format with Spokane Arts and maybe the collaborative collaboration projects that were that are going on between Spokane Arts and other nonprofits works well for Spokane, or do you think um, the Spokane art community could could grow even more though if it was actually part of the the city and a, and a budget that was part of the city and branching out from there? Well, I guess I would say this. I think. There's wins and losses with being inside the city and not being inside the city. One of the advantages of being inside the city is you're closer to the people who are directly involved in the creation of infrastructure. So that matters if you're trying to do public art. Um, you know, obviously the Chase Gallery has been in the city hall building since the city hall building was renovated in the 1980s. And... It was easier, I think, for the management of the gallery and its programming to be inside the city. There's some nimbleness or flexibility that comes with not being part of an established sort of 
civil service system. Mm-hmm. So Spokane Arts has a lot more, I guess I call it specialists in different areas, but we only have one full-time employee and probably, I mean, it gives us nimbleness, but it doesn't necessarily provide the benefits and the opportunities for the employees that work there. So as we're shifting into this gig economy, which is Mm -hmm. affecting so many people who work in so many fields, I feel like it's good in some ways because it gives us nimbleness. And in other ways, it's not so great because it also means that we're probably this is Karen speaking, this is not a policy thing for the Spokane Arts, but I think we're going to see a lot of turnover because it just the way we see a lot of turnover, frankly, in all the arts in Spokane, you have people who take an entry-level job, and that entry-level job doesn't pay that well, doesn't have that many benefits. So what I will say is I think we'll see with Spokane Arts what we see with other arts organizations in Spokane, people coming in, working for a short to middle amount of time getting some good skills and then doing what Ankler Mitchell did which is with Richmond Art Collective and Artist mm-hmm. Trust in moving to the Kohler Art Center because she could get full-time work with benefits with more opportunities for her to develop both professionally and personally and that's a real challenge that we face in Spokane. You know, we have some of the bigs like the Symphony and the Mac and Spokane Civic Theater they have permanent full-time jobs, some with benefits, where people come and they may spend a fairly good portion of their career here in Spokane. We also have a lot of organizations that are both kind of smallish, startup-ish, if you will. You know, there's not a lot of um, full-time work, and people come and they work and they do things, and maybe they don't stay. Um, You know, I've been here for 22 years, and in the amount of time I've been here, some of the arts organizations have had seven executive directors. Hmm. So if you look at, you know, the MAC has had a lot of turnover, Symphony's had quite a bit of turnover, Civic has had quite a bit of turnover. Um, Some of the things connected to the universities haven't turned over as much. There's only been two directors of the Gen Art Museum in the time that I've been here. Um, I would also say this is not unique to the arts in Spokane. It is a thing that affects many um, both professional sectors and um, it affects kind of how the community works. I mean, you see it with other professions. If people come, maybe they are in some other kind of industry or they work for a bank or something. They may come, have a job here for a while, and then either move to a larger city where there's a bigger opportunity for them, or they might move to the next up, not to New York City or something, but to a Denver or a Salt Lake or a Minneapolis that's a bit, little bit bigger than Spokane with more professional development, where more professional opportunities. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I mean, it's kind of a sad thing in a way. And in another way, I think that's the way of the world. Well, Eric, we've the last interviews we've done. This is this subject has come up, <laughs> I think, in just about every one. It's almost uh, many of the artists. It's become mercenary. Almost you're 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 going to different jobs where you might fit in for a niche or a different project or things like that. So you really have to uh, the hustle 
part of making a living uh, becomes really prominent um, versus you're in a, an established environment, it could be university, it could be a city government, and sometimes you can get mired down by the bureaucracy, you know, and having right. worked in a large school system, that has, it's a double-edged sword too, that has, it's, it's so slow, and all of the different policies and procedures, so if you want to do stuff creative, sometimes it's a huge frustration, so I'm not, you know, what makes you the most creative? Well, I guess... I don't know what makes me the most creative. I do think that if you're not making enough money, which a lot of artists in all disciplines in Spokane are not making enough money, if you're not making enough money, you're always worrying about the fact that you're not making enough money. (laughs) And I think that can be a real hindrance to being creative. Because if you're worrying about your money, you're worrying about your next freelance job, you're worrying about whether your class is going to have enough enrollment, or whatever, then you're putting your creative energy into survival. Mm -hmm. So even though you might be in a slow, maybe even sometimes kind of, you know, crazy machinations of bureaucracy, at a certain level, having a stable job gives you a level of security that allows your brain to be freed up for doing that. Um, I think I kind of and I don't know, I'm in a position that a a younger person wouldn't be in. Um, I like the fact that I can do a variety of different things because I'm, frankly, kind of too smart for my own good. If I'm in a place where I have too much rhythm, then I start acting out um, to create new projects or I I create problems for myself. (laughs) So currently, like I'm contracting with Spokane Arts. I'm doing display cases at the airport. I'm teaching one class at Whitworth. I'm teaching for the art school. I'm working in the studio. I've been working on my book. Um, I'm doing some volunteer things that are around international projects, which doesn't really have anything to do with the arts, but it has to do with my personal service in the world. Um, And I'm doing some other, you know, volunteering for church things and political things. And I'm happiest when there's a lot of variety because I find that things feed into each other. Like I'm doing some work with one of my projects with the city where I'm learning a bunch of stuff about the Spokane River. Well, I've been painting about the Spokane River and rivers and writing about rivers for the last five years. And, well, the projects really actually don't have hardly anything to do with each other. There's a lot of cross-pollination that goes back and forth from those things. And I think there's some kind of cool things that happen when things are kind of, I don't know, there's a little bit of a mishmash being mixed up with different projects and different people. Um, I think it depends on the person. I mean, I think about Agnes Martin. You may know who Agnes Martin is. She's a pretty famous um, American-Canadian painter. She was originally, I think, from Manitoba, and she lived for many, many years in New Mexico. If she were still alive, she'd be about 105 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, She's one of my favorite painters. Um, She's a very, very austere, minimalist painter. And she took it really to an extreme of trying to create just a really quiet, meditative environment. And she eventually moved to rural New Mexico and lived out in the country. 
She didn't allow herself to have pets because they were too distracting from the concentration in her studio. Um, if you read her writing, she had a lot of things about, you know, not listening to the radio and not listening to TV and not reading too much because you didn't want to get too distracted by the things you're reading. And, I mean, I think there's one part of me that's like, yeah, I really like fully slowing down and spending time in the studio and not having too much interference. And then after you do that for a while, then you need something to, you know, kind of stimulate your brain. And I'm not sure that that's like staying home and watching Law & Order reruns or something like that. But there is a place, I think, for... Um, media and movies and you know other people's creativity maybe in another discipline to kind of um, like I don't know knock the cobwebs loose Mm -hmm. Um, I've been doing this thing which is totally not serious but is kind of fun where I've been cutting a poem out of the New Yorker every week and then I've been doing little illustrations of the poem from the New Yorker and they're they're just little, you know, ballpoint that pen things like in the side of my notebook. But what I find is sometimes if I'm listening or looking at somebody else's work, then that's very stimulating. Very cool. Well, we're at a point here, and that's going to be a good segue after our little uh, blurb that we have to do here. But we'll get back to what you just said. Okay. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, the blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Woman's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. You're invited to cruise Americana Avenue with me, Jim Tate, in your car or at the office. Each Tuesday from 2 to 4 p.m., you'll hear the best and progressive American Roots music in a multitude of styles. It's Americana Avenue on your radio station, KYRS. Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting GIVEKYRS to 44321. That's all one word, GIVEKYRS to 44321. 
so Karen, this all started. I mean, it's a kind of a massive resume, and it's really impressive. <laughs> but that's you just were describing what happened from 1997 on, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm kind of interested in too is, I mean, you are living an art life in pretty much every way possible. So how how did you get to that spot? I mean, I, what I'm always interested in too because it, it's hard. F- for I think a lot of artists to say I'm going to make my living and my life in art and you've done that I mean how did you get to that point and how did you know that you were going to do that and how what was the mechanism for that well I don't know exactly Um, I guess the first thing I would say is I grew up in extremely rural circumstances in Wyoming And my dad was a game warden, and my mom was a writer, and we lived in very, very, very tiny places. So I went to kindergarten and first grade in Dubois, which when we lived there was a town of, I don't know, 800 people or something. Um, Then when I got a little bit older, my dad worked as the game warden in Sunlight Basin, which is northwest of Cody, just over the mountain from Yellowstone. And we went to school in Cody and then in Powell, but we mostly lived about 50-ish miles outside of town. And we lived in places like one place we lived, we had electricity, but we didn't even have running water. And this was in the 60s before a lot of paved roads and, you know, we had hairpin turn really bad switchbacks and no television. And my mom, I think, she was very creative. My dad was pretty creative, too. But I think in a lot of ways I ended up being involved in the arts because my mom wanted us to be quiet, to be perfectly honest. And so we're out in the country and, you know, you have 24 hours a day to fill with kids. You're on an elk refuge. You don't have any of the modern day distractions, right? We didn't have TV. We didn't have radio. We had big stacks of drawing paper. We had Elmer's glue. We had um, some toys, not a lot, had books, um, We had a lot of time on our hands to drill, saw, dig, build boats, whatever. My brother, my next oldest brother, um, Kurt, who ended up being a filmmaker and animator, he passed away a few years ago, but he, he was really creative. And our mom and dad, pretty much, they just let us build whatever we wanted to build. And we weren't exactly homeschooled because my mom made us go to school in town. She didn't want us to become <laughs> completely disembodied from the larger world. But we had a big table in our living room where, you know, normal people in the kind of situation now might have like, um, you know, big screen TV or something. We had a work table in our living room. And our whole family, a lot of the time in the evening, we'd just be around tying flies and gluing stuff together and drawing. And my mom put our pictures up all over the house, and we did whatever plays and, you know, tried to be circus performers and trick riders. I remember one summer I spent the whole summer trying to figure out how to jump off the barn perfectly to land on the the saddle of our horse while my brother was leading us around the corral because you know i mean it wasn't like people weren't paying attention to us but they they were 
kind of like letting us be free range know. parenting. Free, totally. I mean, we were tr- really, truly free range parenting. And the elk refuge we lived on was over 380 acres, and we could go anywhere as long as we took a dog. You know, nobody was. I mean, and, and you know, there were dangers. There were moose and bears and wolves and stuff that lives out there and still lives there. Um, but we had a lot of opportunity to do things. When I was about 11 years old, I went to work for a dude ranch, which is in Sunlight Basin. And the dude ranch was run by Lee and Doc Dominic, who were... Yale graduates. He was a physician. They were friends with a lot of the modernist poets that if you take Jonathan Johnson's history of modernist poetry at Eastern, a lot of the people he teaches in his class were people that came to the dude ranch where I worked as a kid. So when I was a kid, I had this kind of wild existence, but people were coming in and out of my world who were modernist poets. The conservator from the a hermitage came to restore a painting at the Buffalo Bill Historical Center and Lee who was my boss in my kid job made sure that I had an opportunity to take the conservator from the hermitage on a horseback ride and I didn't even know there were conservators but she thought I would like to know about that and she kind of mentored me but in a kind of absent-minded way she was running the ranch and you know I was cleaning cabins and doing dishes but there were these famous people coming and going and you know that was a real opportunity for me to see something that maybe I wouldn't have seen and then I was an exchange student because you know if you live out in the country somebody's going to send you to a city someday and so I went to Australia as an exchange student you don't necessarily think of Australia as being a place that's that you know intensely cultured but you have Obviously, the indigenous population, all that, you know, the Aboriginal art and music and all those things. And I had an opportunity to go to big art museums and see things that I'd never seen before. Came back and I was like, well, I think I'm going to try to figure this out. Um, I was very fortunate when I went to the University of Wyoming to work with a woman whose name is Judy Dennison, who's a physicist, but she had an art gallery in Laramie. She hired me. I worked in the art gallery. I learned how to be a picture framer. And I just kept trying stuff. I, I think... I'm probably doing what I'm doing because all the things I tried to do that were supposed to be practical just didn't really work that well. Um, I tried to get my teaching certificate. I wasn't really that interested in being a teacher. I looked at maybe doing some kind of nonprofit law or environmental law or something like that. Ended up going to England to work as a a research assistant to an art historian spent a whole bunch of time in London looking at art and walking around and seeing people's studios and trying to figure that out then I worked in Kansas City for a commercial art gallery and um, didn't make enough money to live very comfortably but I did that and I did a lot of weekend bartending and messing around trying to make enough money went to graduate school then in norman oklahoma which is where the university of Mm -hmm. oklahoma is you know university of oklahoma has over thirty six thousand students the point that i went there um that was the university was almost bigger than any town i'd ever lived in up to that point um got my mfa at ou and then 
I interviewed for jobs all over the country. People tell me all the time, it's like, oh, I've had such a hard time finding a job in Spokane. I was like, I had a really hard time finding a job in the world. Um, no, I applied, for, when I graduated from graduate school, I applied for 119 jobs before I got an interview. Wow. But I knew I was going to work somewhere I mean, like somewhere in the world in the arts. I was not going to just like end up being a waitress somewhere. And I um, went to New Mexico State University to become their art museum director because I met a man on a bus. Honest to God, I met a man on a bus in Boston. And it was, I was in Boston interviewing for another job and met this guy on the bus. And he said, well, if you're still looking for a job in a few months, he said, we're going to hire somebody to run the University Art Gallery, which is the art museum at New Mexico State. I applied for the job kind of just as a thing. I was like, okay, I met this guy on the bus. I applied for the job. He brought me in for an interview and I got the job. So I worked in New Mexico at New Mexico State for six years. And I rented a house from another artist that had a studio in it. And his studio was on the property. And then it was like, at a certain point, I was just like, wait, there's no turning back. You know, you, you're there. You're doing this thing. So I went, for, and I went from New Mexico to the Bahamas. And I did a little project, which lasted for a while, where I was doing art. I was hanging out with this guy who's a composer. We were playing a lot of music in bars. We kind of went through all of our money being creatives, and I came back to the States because I had to live somewhere and make money. <laughs> and so it's like the undermining or undermining <laughs> or underlying thing in all of this is yeah. you have to keep making money. Yeah. So then I became the director of the Art Museum in Casper, Wyoming, which is the central sort of big city. Not that it's a big city, but the bigger city in central Wyoming. And I was there for about five years before I came to Spokane. Um, I think when I came to Spokane, I didn't think I'd be here this long. Um, but it's worked out to be pretty good. I had a good job. I've had a lot of opportunities. One of the things that's great about being in a city the size of Spokane is that if you want to work your network, this is not as, I mean, like, it's not London or somewhere, or even Kansas City. I mean, this is a small town. If you want to get out and meet people and do projects with people, you can do projects with people. Um, I think sometimes people are, like, maybe they don't have the courage to call people up and say, I really like your artwork. I'd like to do a show with you. Let's put some proposals together. But, I mean, you can meet almost anybody you need to meet in Spokane. Um, and you could probably meet almost anybody you need to meet in the Northwest if you are persistent. Um, you know, you can call up artists and writers and musicians. It's also kind of good if you have some sort of job where you have a reason to call them up. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that's one of the things that's good about teaching or doing something like the Arts Commission. You can call somebody up and ask their advice, mm-hmm. which I actually think everybody should call people up and ask their advice. What a great way to meet people. You just say... You know, I'm working on this thing. Will you talk to me? Most people are thrilled to give unsolicited advice. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it, it's pretty easy yeah. to... And it's not such a big place that, you know, I mean, people are busy and they're working on stuff, but it's not like it's hard to... I don't feel like it's all that hard to penetrate what's going on. I think there are a lot of times where people don't feel like they know what's going on. And maybe it's because people are working a jillion jobs, but I think, too, a lot of artists are kind of, and I think this is probably true of poets and composers, too. People are kind of into their own thing, 
And sometimes they're not doing something like, I don't know, reading the Journal of Business or, you know, trying to find ways to connect with the larger community. But generally, I think people are pretty open to connecting with people. And I've found that, I mean, I don't know, I've been borrowing buildings from people in Spokane for over 20 years. You know, you're going to do some sort of an event and you maybe don't have enough money and you're working with artists to do something. A lot of times if you call up some company or a person who owns a building and say, I want to do an art show or I want to have a little concert, a lot of times people just help you because they think it's cool to help you. Uh, oh, I've noticed that too, where you ask people to do things and you think what's in it for them, but they still do it. I mean, it's amazing how people will help you if you just ask. And it's, I think it's that fear of being rejected, the fear of looking like a fool that we don't ask. And it sounds like your upbringing, your, uh, that how your independence was fostered. You're like, what's the worst that could happen, right? Well, you know, one of the best pieces of advice ever given to me was given to me by a woman whose name is Jean Owens Schaefer. She's an art historian. She was at the University of Wyoming when I was there. And... I remember talking to her because I was going to apply to graduate school and I was very intimidated by the idea that I'm going to, you know, apply to these places all over the country and see if, where I can get in and try to get financial aid and do all these things. And I remember her saying to me, and it stuck with me, you fail if you don't try and no one is going to say yes to something they've never heard about. <laughs> and, you know, um, you might have read though or seen the um, YouTube video of Amanda Palmer you know who Amanda Palmer is she's a musician her band was the Dresden Dolls she um, basically built a career couch surfing around America and she wrote this book it's called The Art of Asking mm. oh. and it's kind of a memoir about being a punk musician and couch surfing America and trying to um, start up her career as a musician and what she learned now I don't have her personality. I'm a lot more introverted, and I'm kind of afraid of people. So I probably would never couch surf America like that. But there's a lot of things to be learned from that thing of, okay, I got to figure this out. I don't have enough money um, to do this without, you know, asking for help. Um, I don't know. There's a young woman you may know from Spokane who's touring the country with her poetry right now, Devin Devine. Hmm. And she's my Facebook friend. I don't know if she ever read Amanda Palmer, but she's kind of following the Amanda Palmer method of, which is kind of humorous because there's Palmer method in penmanship from the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. But the Palmer method of couch surfing America and becoming a, a traveling musician or poet means that you have to be daring to couch surf. She sends text messages out and everyone's like, I'm going to this town and I don't know a single person. Do you know anybody in this town? And sometimes I do know somebody in that town and I'll be like, let me send them a text and see if they'll let you sleep in their living room, right? There's a whole network of artists all over this country that are doing that. And, you know, I'm not inviting people to come and live with me, but <laughs> I have had musicians... But you can ask. I have had musicians <laughs> and actors and visual artists crash at my place on a very consistent basis over the last 20 years because people... People know me. There's somebody, I don't know, maybe they're coming in to do a play. Maybe they're doing some kind of music gig here. People need places to 
people need places to land and we 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 the big we the artist community there's a lot of that kind of sharing you know giving people rides giving people places to stay you know helping people with materials or heavy lifting or whatever those things are i think it's hard often for people to understand that maybe somebody will help them it's also true sometimes people say no Mm -hmm. and that's part of the thing too i mean we were talking about this Mm -hmm. the other day mike that my goal is to apply to a hundred things every year and that sounds kind of nuts but if you're trying to be a visual artist and you're trying to get shows or get your work published or you know have um submit for public art or whatever you need to be Mm -hmm. asking all the time because if you're not asking all the time you're not going to get enough work and so i'm always asking um usually two times a week i try to do a grant proposal or a show proposal or something that will bring both opportunity creatively but also money into my world um and a lot of times you get rejected because the competition is really fierce, you know? I mean, I get rejection letters that say, one of them was a thing I applied for last year. They sent me a note that said, you were one of 36,000 applicants for this thing. And I went, oh, no wonder I didn't get it. (laughs) And, you know, you you just have to keep moving. I mean, it's kind of part of the thing. I think the other thing is most artists who are making it financially in Spokane, they don't just work in Spokane. They're either sending their work out, like to other galleries or to fairs and festivals, or they're proposing public art, or they're giving lectures or teaching a class or a workshop in some other place, or they're selling reproduction rights or they're doing things that aren't relying just on Spokane's market. And I think it's really important to think about that maybe being like for a lot of artists, it's like a third and a third and a third, maybe a third of working out of town, a third working in the local market, and then maybe a third of doing weird, odd, jobby things that maybe aren't the arts, but create some level of stability for their income. So, I mean, I don't think there's any shame in somebody being a bartender or something part of the time. In fact, it might get you some inspiration or weird ideas that you might not have had otherwise. Mm -hmm. We're going to take one more break. You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. Praxis, putting a theory into practical use. Every week, hear stories from our city, region, and world about people putting ideas into motion. Join your host, Taylor, that's me, in interviews with activists, artists, academics, and anyone shaking up systems with radical action. Tune in live Mondays at 4 p.m. right here on KYRS Thin Air Community Radio. So, Karen, you mentioned earlier that you had some river paintings that you're working on now, and you've done that a lot. So what what sorts of things are you working on now, other than those river paintings? Well, um, so I'm, I, I'm working on trying to get this book that I wrote published somewhere. So every week, I send it to a couple places. I've been doing that for four years. So far, so good. 
nothing's been published, but I've been doing that. Um, well, so what, what is the book? Is it yeah. a nonfiction? What it's is a it? poetry manuscript oh. that I developed over about a 10-year period. And I'm so I've been messing with that. I've been messing around trying to figure out how to take the Cat Hair Enterprises Facebook posts and make them into humor pieces to send out. Which, that started as a joke, and it is actually turned into kind of being a thing that might actually go somewhere. Um, I'm working on these paintings that are essentially about, I guess, they're about rivers, but they're not pictures of rivers. They're about the texture and motion of water. Um, I'm also working with plants and other kinds of texture and color and surface that exists in nature. So they look pretty abstract, but they're... They're about they're about water and plants, things I see. Um, a lot of them come out of hikes and piddling around. You know, I spend a lot of time, frankly, walking up and down the Spokane River and walking around and around the pond at Turnbull and walking around and around in my backyard. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm doing um, some work, some project management work for Spokane Arts, um, which has been fun. Um, I don't know. Some days I don't do a lot. Like today, I spent a bunch of time talking to other artists. When we came down here, I was with Jeff Ferguson talking about our project that we're working on, which is about, I guess we're calling it a photography project. Um, I'm going to do a show with Mariah Boyle at the Public Library, Downtown Public Library, in October. And so maybe some of these paintings I've been working on will end up in that show. I mean, I have a few months before it happens, and I've been kind of trying to figure out what's going to be in the show at the Moses Lake Art Museum. So that's partly a making art project, and it's partly a thinking about what's the logic of the show installation and what needs to, I don't know, what needs to be a part of that. Because there'll be the art, there'll be some text labels and interpretation I don't know. There may be some poems in that show, too. I'm still kind of messing with it. Um, and then I've been spending a lot of time trying to adopt a cat. And, um, you know, like other people, shoveling snow and, you know, trying to figure out what to do with the bottom of my car because I hit a big chunk of ice and there's this big plastic thing that covers the oil pan that's on the bottom of your car. It has a big fracture in it and it drags on the ground when I drive my car. So, you know... Like, just regular people stuff, mostly. Is your poetry uh, much like your paintings in that a lot of your work draws from nature and um, things like that? I would say that unless somebody gives me an assignment, which sometimes I get an assignment from somebody, mostly my poetry comes out of the natural world. It comes out of personal narrative. So in some cases, there's an aspect of storytelling in the poetry that doesn't really exist in the paintings. The paintings at the moment don't have any characters in them. They're mostly about color, texture. Mm-hmm. Um, the poems have a little bit more of a story to them. Um, and I think the poems are changing. Um, for a while, a lot of the poems were very intensely personal, and they were about my family. And now they're, with some distance on the grief, I think that the poems that I'm writing are more, they're more abstract than the pieces I was. Although, 
you know, I've been kind of piddling around with some other stuff. When I um, was, you know, um, Todd Marshall did his Washington 129 project, and Laura Reed did her project about um, Spokane. I decided I was going to submit to those things, so I wrote a bunch of poems about Spokane. And there's not enough of them for a book, but there's quite a little cluster of them that might, you know, they're, they're kind of a little body of work. And, um, you know, sometimes somebody will hit me with some idea, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, i got to do something with that. And then it ends up sort of being a one-off that maybe doesn't end up showing up somewhere. Have you do you, um, do any poetry readings, or have you done in the past, or maybe any shows lined up in the future? Um, I have done a lot of reading, um, mostly in community venues. Um, you know, like in the old days when Mootsies was open, and we were doing the readings at Mootsies in the late '90s and early 2000s. I did that a lot. I've done Broken Mic and some of those community open mics. I've been part of readings um, at Spark off and on. I have. I don't have anything scheduled right now, but I'm mostly really, to be honest, in the last few months, I've really been focusing on trying to figure out these museum shows. And it's caused me to be a little bit more focused in a way that maybe I wouldn't normally be. Um, and I also feel like, maybe this sounds weird, but I'm getting older and I'm not quite as comfortable in the loud sounds world of open mics and um, poetry slam. And I don't know, I'm kind of an introvert and I, I don't always want to be there. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of like sitting in my quiet house. Well, that leads me to my next question. You've got so many things going on. Is there a regular process for you? I mean, do you have, do you work uh, at, at a regular time every day, or how how does your process, just your daily routine, your weekly routine, work when you got so many irons in the fire? Well, the first thing is I try only to come downtown on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Although tomorrow I have to get my car fixed, so I probably will not be. You know, but I try really hard to cluster all my meetings and all the things that I do with my with my art consulting clients and my teaching and all that. I try to compress that into the middle part of the week, and that actually works pretty good because if you're meeting with somebody, most people don't want to meet with you on Friday afternoon, and most people don't want to meet you with you on Monday because it's the beginning of the week and they need to get their bearings. So coming down Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday works pretty good. Um, typically I work in the studio on Tuesday or Monday, Friday, and Saturday kind of varies depending upon if there's something else that's going on, but usually, um, pretty much on Sunday, I don't work. I go to church. I sing in the choir at my church at Westminster, which is just a gas because Vern Windham from Spokane Public Radio is our music director, and he's possibly one of the funniest human beings on the planet. <laughs> and so I sing in the choir. Usually Sunday afternoon, I do kind of cooking for the week. I'm pretty rigorous about eating at home, so I usually cook for the week. Like in three or four hours, I make, I don't know, a lasagna and a casserole and a bunch of stuff. And I chop it up and freeze it and organize my food so I don't 
find myself spending money I don't have. Um, and to be honest with you, sometimes I stay up all night. Um, you know, like I last night I was up until I don't know, like four thirty or something. I was kind of on a roll. I got going on something, and I I go to bed and I'm like, nah, and I get up work. Um, I have a really I mean, this is probably obvious. I have a lot of energy, and <laughs> I do pretty well with not a whole lot of sleep, but I do need a lot of time alone, which I think, for a lot of years, I didn't understand that. I would just be like, God, why am I so, am I so cranky? And I'm like, oh, too many people. Too many people. And I think it's good. I'm, I kind of like living alone, you know, like, time to kind of rattle around in my in my thoughts and right now because i'm working from home and i'm living alone i can work whenever i want nobody is going to be in the way right and i have to show up for meetings and stuff but i can stay up if i want to for two days if i'm which i don't usually do that but i can if i'm on a roll and i would say it's also not like a you know, you read books, be like, oh, well, you know, I do best when I write in the morning. And I'm like, if you're up in the morning, great. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to write while you're sleeping. <laughs> and sometimes I do the other thing where I get up like at 4, 4.30. And there's a really good time between about 4.30 in the morning and about 8.30 in the morning where nobody calls you on the phone. There, you know, there's nobody's texting you or emailing you or doing anything really early in the morning and in the summer especially when the days are long it's really beautiful early in the morning so yeah yeah yeah. so with the last couple minutes we have uh where can people find your work what's coming up next i know you have a website you talk about that uh any shows you were talking about the moses lake gallery uh tell Mm -hmm. us where where we can see the work that you're doing so right now I'm working towards the show at the Downtown Library with Mariah Boyle, which will be in October. Um, I have a few pieces at Marmot Art Space um, in Kendall Yards. Um, you can rent my work or buy it through Mac Art Source, which is at the Mac. Um, you can get on my website. You can call and come up to my studio and visit me. And um, my artwork that's coming up at Moses Lake Art Center will be summer of 2020. And I have a couple of those big hearts that we did for Ronald Mm -hmm. McDonald House Mm -hmm. for that project. And they're currently um, at the Convention Center and at the Davenport Grand. Or no, is that right? Davenport Grand. And the auction for the hearts for Ronald McDonald House will be in the early part of July at the McGinnity Room. Um, there's odds and ends of other things. Um, people can sign up for my classes through for the art school through the art school website. Um, a lot of the stuff I'm doing kind of myself. You know, the the art the art gallery establishment is kind of, and no offense to my good colleague um, Marshall Peterson, but I can do a lot for myself, and so I do. Um, I'm pretty easy to find if you, you know, and I'm actually really open to having people come drink coffee with me. So a couple times a week, usually some person from the community will come and drink coffee with me and look at art and talk about stuff. And 
that's kind of a weird thing. My my um, cousin said to me, she's like, you let strangers come to your house and drink coffee? She said, what if some weird person hears about this on the radio or on your Facebook page? And I'm like, so far, so good. Um, um, people can, you know, send me a Facebook messenger or text me through my website and come visit me. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're a great storyteller, and you've had already quite a fascinating career, so it was fun to hear about it. Thanks well, for coming. Thanks for inviting me. Thank yeah, you so much. Very interesting.